0: This morning, uh, I wanna talk to you about that guy. Now, I'm gonna describe him to you here in a second, and if you see him in the room, please do not point to him, because we all know he's crazy, all right? So don't draw attention to him uh, at all, please. Uh, Now, that guy can be challenging, he can be challenging. Typically, he is critical, he is controlling, He is often arrogant at times. Uh, He's not nice at all. Surprisingly, he knows everything about everything, especially in the last two years. Like, he was an expert in a lot of things and and, and a lot of activities over the past couple years. And they're going to tell you every chance they get about what they know. Now, not to be outdone, it can also be that lady. She can be just as troubling uh, she probably knows how to raise your kids better than you do, which is really helpful. At times, they can present as that couple, right? Now, if you know who I'm talking about, please do not point at them. In fact, it was funny. Last service, a bunch of people came up to me and was like, um, I think I'm that guy. So I know we have them here at Bay Life. <laughs> now, typically, your day starts out great. You know, you're excited, you're energized, you're ready to face the day. Whatever challenges come, you're kind of, you know what's coming up. And and you're leaving with a good attitude, hopefully, and you're excited. And then you run into, well, that guy. And everything changes. Your chest tightens up. Your disposition changes. You don't even recognize yourself anymore. You're just, well, you're just angry. And you don't even know how you got there except for that guy. Now you go home, you settle down, you have dinner with the family, you're kind of hanging out, things are kind of coming back to normal, and then you decide, hey, I'm going to log on and check out Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or the news. And guess what? That guy's been posting all day long. He's been disliking your memes He's been commenting on your post. He's been going after your friends who commented on your post. He's been correcting your punctuation. Tagging you in all sorts of ridiculous arguments you don't want to be a part of. And he's shouting like crazy on social media. Your mood changes again. Because how could someone have an opinion so wrong and yet be so sure of themselves? until you finally and wisely decide to log off. Now, thoughts of that guy, dreaming of that guy, probably have you dreaming of doing something like this. (laughs) So here's my question, who is that guy for you? Or that lady? Who pops up in the back of your head? Who has hurt you with their words? Who has irritated you with their comments? Who has disappointed you in a way that you've just not been able to get over? I want you to just kind of think of their name as we talk about this. I want to give you a different perspective today. A different way to look at them. Uh, Perspective is kind of everything, isn't it? I mean, for example, take this guy here on the island. He's been there for weeks, he's been losing hope. He sees a boat off in the distance and he thinks, I'm saved! That's his perspective. But yet, the guy on the boat has a different perspective. He's been drifting for days, wandering, hoping to get some stability, and he sees land and he thinks, I'm saved! That's his perspective. But today, I'm not going to talk to you about walking a mile in someone else's shoes. I'm not going to ask you to compare your perspective with that guy's perspective. Instead, I'm going to ask you to consider God's perspective, which is a totally different viewpoint than what we're used to. But to do that, I just need to pause a moment and just ask God to speak to our hearts as we look at his word today. Will you join me? Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather. Lord, it's so encouraging to be able to sit or stand in this room and sing your praises, to be reminded of your character, to be reminded of what you've done for us, to be encouraged by who you are, to realize that you're in control. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, I just ask that you would just move me out of the way, that you would say the things to our hearts that we need to hear, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign to do your work in our hearts today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. In Matthew 18, Peter asks Jesus a question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, what you might not know is his brother was actually sitting in that group. Andrew was actually there wondering. And it kind of leads you to wonder, what did Andrew do to tick Peter off? Like, why is he bringing him up uh, here in this moment? At the end of the question, he, Peter says, up to seven times. In other words, if he does something against me once and then I forgive him, and then he does it again, and then I forgive him. And then he does it again, and I forgive him up to seven times. Now, he's kind of giving himself a verbal pat on the back here. He's, he's like, isn't that really nice of me that I would be willing to forgive this person seven times for an offense? Which is kind of, you know, benevolent, right? I mean, if you think about it, who do we really forgive up to seven times? Maybe Our kids? But why was that so gracious? Why was that considered so gracious? Well, the rabbi's teaching of the day was that you had to forgive someone up to three times. And so Peter basically doubles it and adds one and be like, how about seven times? Isn't that awesome? Aren't I great? And Jesus kind of blows his mind with his answer. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus is basically saying we are to go on and on forgiving. And, and to show us this and to show us what God's idea of this is, Jesus tells us a little story for us to kind of see his perspective on the whole thing. And that story just drives home a simple truth. He says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, when we see that phrase, kingdom of heaven is like, we're, we're supposed to pay attention Because what that's telling us is if we want to experience heaven here on earth, then this is how we live. This is what we should bring to the table. This is how we should act towards others. And when we do that, fellow believers, we experience what it's like to be in heaven. We experience what God wants for us. He says, a king wanted to settle his account with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, a king settling his account, that wasn't really so far out of the ordinary. That was a normal thing that would happen. It was that time of year to go through the books and to find out who owed the king money and who didn't. We've kind of just experienced this. April 18th, ring a bell, right? Uh, Some of you who are getting refunds probably put it in a lot earlier. Um, 11.47 p.m., April 18th, slid my taxes in because I thought I owed money, which I didn't, but you know. Last minute, because I'm going to hold on to it till the end, right? And so here he is, King, figuring out who owes who. In this case, stood out a bit. Now, 10,000 talents, the readers or the listeners of that day would have laughed at that. It's a ridiculous amount. They would have been like, okay, no, no, you, you can't, no, no way. So let me put it into perspective, modern day perspective. Consider a target cashier making $15 an hour to, uh, you know, scan your goods and put it into a bag and and help you out as you leave the store. Now, April 18th, she's like, "Ah, I got to do my taxes. And she fires up TurboTax. She enters all the information. And then lo and behold, she owes a little bit of money, $7.2 billion. That seems like a lot, right? That's a ton of money. I mean, it's not enough to buy Twitter, but it is a lot of money. It would take her about 2,400 lifetimes to pay that off at her current rate. In other words, it's such a huge debt that there's no way she could pay it off. You know, maybe the government will take an IOU. I don't know. But that's a lot of money. Now. Since he was not able to pay the debt, which is the understatement of the year in this story, uh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. In other words, the king's like, well, I'm not getting $7.2 billion out of them, but I might as well at least get something back, right? Just a couple nuggets here or there, you know, so I'm going to sell them off. And they can work this out. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay everything back. It's hard to say that without giggling, right? There's no way that they're paying that back. There's no way that they're coming up with it. The king knows this. The king's probably listening like, okay. I don't know what kind of payment plan you're thinking about, but at $15 an hour, this is just not happening. But here's the cool thing. Something amazing happens. Something unexpected something unbelievably beautiful happens. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. Let him go. This debt is gone. You are free. Now, he doesn't just give him more time to come up with the money. He doesn't work out a payment plan. He completely cancels the debt. You see, the truth is, the innocent one pays the price to reconcile the relationship. The innocent one pays the price to reconcile the relationship. The innocent one says, I release that debt from you. You're no longer obligated to pay. I give up my right, whether real or perceived, to collect payment." Forgiveness isn't, I'm going to give them more time to pay. I'm going to work out some payment plan. I'm going to see how much they can wallow. Uh, It's it's not, I'm going to get my payment a different way. I'm going to be able to hold this over their head forever. I want everyone else to see what a jerk this guy is that they got in so, so much debt with me. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, even though you owe me, even though you've offended me, I'm going to cancel that debt and I'm going to pay for it myself. And I will not bring it up again. Between you and I, he completely cancels the debt. Now, sin is often referred to as a debt. In fact, it's the same Aramaic word used for both. So, in light of Peter's question, the listeners would be hearing Jesus talking about sin or the grievance that they had with one another. It'd probably be helpful if we pause real quick and identify the characters in this little story, right? The king, well, the king represents God. And the servant, the servant represents, well, me or you. God has forgiven us a debt that we can't pay. He's forgiven us through his son, Jesus. Now, you might be asking, okay, wait a second. I've, you know, basically been in church since I was born. I mean, how much of a debt did I really rack up, right? Right? Like how, how, how many bad things could I really have done? Do I really owe God that large of a balance? Well, here's what God says about our sin. The Bible calls us murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves, perverted people. In Colossians 1:21, it, it, it says, you were so far from God, you were his enemy. And yet, what did Jesus do? In Colossians 2.14 says that he canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now imagine that guy walking out of the king's presence. He's pretty excited, right? $7.2 billion, wiped away, clean slate. Now some of you in this room, a lot of you in this room, fully understand what that feels like. Because you've come face to face with Jesus and understanding what he did on the cross was enough to pay for your sin. And you've been forgiven. You've been set free. You know exactly how this guy was feeling. It's amazing to me. Jesus kind of puts it in perspective for us, right? He starts off the story and he goes, okay, let's look at this incredible debt that God has released you from because of his goodness and because of his grace and because of his mercy. All right, now that we got that picture under control, now let's talk about this little debt that's over here. And he goes on with the story. He says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. It's a new money, new, new amount. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And the fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. Basically, he walks out and he spots that guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, in the context, that guy has offended him. And I'm guessing from the text that that guy is trying to avoid the other servant. To put it back in our target scenario, if we go back to this, she's been forgiven of $7.2 billion worth of debt. But she's got a friend that works across town at Walmart. Now, her friend owes her some money as well. How much? Oh, $100. Not quite as big as $7.2 billion. But, you know, $100 is $100. And he says, Oh, man, be patient with me. I know I owe you. I get paid a week from Friday, and I'll pay you back then. But in our story, he grabs the guy and begins to choke him and says, Pay me back what you owe me. The truth is this you are going to be offended, it's going to happen. It's a reality of living in a fallen world. You're going to get cross with somebody. You're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be angry. You're going to be upset. Somebody along the way is going to disappoint you. It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. Because that guy is all over the place. We run into him all over the place. But Jesus is trying to get us to see it from his perspective. But when he refused, instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. You see, when we're offended, we want payment back. If this person doesn't apologize, if they don't grovel enough, if they don't repair our pain, uh, then we're not offering any kind of grace, any kind of forgiveness. They need to feel the effects of what they put me through. We hold on to the grudge. We make sure everyone knows. Did you see what that guy posted? Yeah, you saw that on my page? I can't believe that. But here's the truth you don't have to live offended. Being offended is a reality, it's gonna happen. Living offended, well, that's your choice. That's a choice that you make, it's a loss of perspective. You see, when we live in light of what God has done for us, it changes what we demand from people. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, I canceled your debt, all of it, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy to your fellow servant just as I have done to you? In his anger, his master turned him over to be to the jailers to be tortured until so he could pay back all that he owed. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the verse that, ugh, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So, wait a second. If they did something that offended me, and I live in it and demand repayment, I go to jail. Wait, what? Well, you think about it. Jail looks a little different. Resentment, bitterness, anger, rage. Those are things that kind of eat inside of us and tear us up. See, when I live offended, the only person it hurts is me. I'm the one who lives with the resentment. I'm the one who lives with the bitterness I'm the one who lives with the anger and rage. I'm the one who's getting torn up inside. There's actually no winning living offended. If I get cross with my wife and I'm offended, my marriage isn't going to get better if I stay offended. My walk with God is not going to grow while I'm offended. My friendships aren't going to grow deeper while I'm offended. When I live offended, it only hurts me. So if it only hurts me, why do I hold on to it? Why do I hold on to the anger so long? And more importantly, how do I put it down? Have you felt that over the last few years? You just feel on edge a little bit more? I think Paul gives us some incredible insight in Ephesians. He says this, in your anger, do not not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me in this room. But I'm tempted to justify my anger. I'm I'm tempted to defend it when I'm angry, right? They hurt me. I'm right here. They're wrong. They betrayed me. Did you hear what they said about me? Did you hear how they disappointed me? Of course I'm right. My, my anger is righteous here. It's righteous. We toss that term around a lot in anger. There's no other destructive force that we use that with. We don't say, like, I got righteous gluttony. Doesn't really fit. But we use that so we can sit in our anger as long as we want. Here's the key to this Verse. Do not let the sun go down. In other words, we need to recognize when we're getting angry and we need to act quickly. When we're tempted to stew and sit in our anger. Are you guys like that? When you get angry, you just need to you need to grumble. You need to be alone. You need to just and kind of be away from people. And, and you like to kind of bake in it a little bit? Or is that just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. Sorry. But, uh, you know, and, and truthfully, if I can recognize that I'm getting angry and that's about to affect every other part of my life, then I want to move quickly. I want to act quickly to deal with it, to seek uh, resolution, to put it down, to let it go. Why? Well, the next verse says this, and do not give the devil a foothold. I don't know what you think when you read that, especially the word foothold there, but there's a couple pictures that normally come to mind for me when I think of foothold. Uh, the first is like the rock climber, you know, and he's kind of holding on and he's on the mountain and he's barely there and it's like, I don't want to let the devil hang on to the mountain because, you know, he might keep climbing to the top and might own the mountain and, and he's just barely holding on to my life and it's, it's just a small foothold. I want to make sure and remove that from him. Or perhaps you think maybe more foot in the door, right? Uh, I, I've, my anger has opened up the door to the devil, so now he's in, and that's one step away from just totally you know, being in there and, and messing up everything. So I need to make sure to keep that door shut and, and locked and turned away. But the word is pretty interesting. It's, it's topaz, and it means space, room, uh, a spot, In other words, if you go on and you live in your anger, you're giving the devil a place in your heart. You're giving him room to work in your life. You're giving him space to influence that which is important to you. When we reside in our anger and bitterness, Scripture says we're giving the devil free reign to operate and to influence the things that we hold dear. Friday, I went up and uh, I picked my son, Ryland, up at FSU. FSU gets out like a week before everyone else. Uh, and so I drove up there. It's If you've ever been up, it's like a four-hour drive. It's really not that bad. Uh, it was a five-hour drive plus uh, this time. There was some accidents on 75, which seems to happen more and more. And, uh, you know, so I'm on my way up. He knows I'm coming. He knows what time I'm coming. Totally understand this. And in my head, in this drive, I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting Rylan, I'm not getting Tegan. I'm getting Rylan, I'm not getting Tegan. Because when I go pick up Tegan at USF years ago, it was like everything was packed and ready to go, and it was like a quick move, you know, and we were done and we were out of there. Because she had, you know, scheduled it out and started packing a few minutes every day. And, and I showed up at three o'clock into his dorm. I call him like 10 minutes away. I'm like, hey man, I'm 10 minutes away. He's like, great, I got time, to take a shower. I was like, okay. I show up at the dorm, there is not a thing packed. Like you would have no idea he's coming home from the summer. And I'm like, oh, totally what I thought. I even texted my wife, I was like, send her a picture. I'm like, look, nothing's back. She's like, did you expect anything else? Right? But no, I didn't, I didn't expect anything else. So, you know, we loaded everything and we started taking clothes and just throwing it into bags and started, you know, packing up. Now, he did have time during the course of the week, his roommate moved out earlier, to move both beds together to have like a super large bed for a week. But of course, you know, to pack anything up, no, there wasn't any time to do that. So we started packing. And here's the thing with moving out at FSU. They have these big uh, kind of round carts you can put everything in and then you could just wheel it in. So my thought was, okay, great, we'll just throw all of his clothes everything in there. And if we could just jam it in the car, we can get home and we can deal with it. And then it'd be awesome. No problem. But everyone moves out at the same time and those carts aren't available. And so I we parked yeah, Down on two, three blocks away illegally. It's as close as we could get, you know, to illegally park to kind of unload all your stuff and, and stuff like that. And so literally, I'm putting like all the hangers on my arm and holding clothes as I'm walking out, and we got bags of clothes, and we're just making trip after trip after trip. We finished packing the, the car. It was only a car full of stuff, but it took us two and a half hours to pack everything up and get it out. Now, can you imagine if I wasn't prepared for that, if I didn't know that and I was angry about that. Can you imagine what would have happened in our relationship? Now, we have a four hour drive home. And if I had been angry about that because I had an expectation and it wasn't met, well, then I would bring that anger with me. So he graciously drove home, which was awesome. And so I'm sitting here in the passenger seat, but if I had been angry, Scripture tells me that I bring the devil along with me. I make room for him in that car. This is my son whom I love. I make room for Satan the deceiver, the destroyer, the liar, the prince of darkness, I make room for him. I want him nowhere near that car. I don't want him to have any, any room with people I love. And scripture tells me, get rid of your anger. Because you give Satan room, space to influence your relationships. Listen, I don't want the devil anywhere near date night with my wife. He's not welcome to come there. But if I was honest, the last couple years... I invited him into our nightly walks because of something someone posted or something someone said that I disagreed with or family member that maybe hurt my feelings in some way. And I brought him on some of those walks. But the truth is, I want him nowhere near date night. I don't want to bring him on family vacation. He's not welcome in my family. I don't want him anywhere near the life of my church. Now, most of you would agree with that. Yet, I know some of you, some of us walked in holding on to the anger. Holding on to that bitterness. Holding on to that disappointment and we brought him in here and we've given him reign over how we relate with each other his goal is to destroy paul goes on <clears throat> i want you to think who's that guy for you Who's been difficult to love, especially these last two years with so much tension? I don't know if you're like me, but I've, I, as I look back, I found myself easily frustrated, sometimes angry, sometimes offended. Paul says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every four... Form of malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another. He he doesn't say be arrogant. He doesn't say be critical of anyone who thinks differently than you. He doesn't say be harsh, you know, because you're dealing with idiots. He says be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's perspective, again. See, so here's the cool thing. As believers, we live in a different kind of economy. We don't need to extract revenge or payment. We've been overwhelmed by grace. Grace. We're free to live that way. We're free to extend that to other people. We can live differently. We don't have to invite them in. We're free to respond with grace. So again, I ask you who is that guy? Or that lady for you. Dee's going to lead us in a song. And as we sing, I just want you to just ask God, Lord, just examine my heart. If there is a person that I just need to release and let go of and, and, and give some space to, I need to forgive. Lord, help me to see it from your perspective.
1: Create in me a clean.
0: Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you right now just recognizing your goodness, your grace, your kindness and how you've dealt with us. You've heaped grace upon grace upon grace Upon grace in our lives. And Lord, now we're coming to you and we're just asking for help. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. If you've brought to mind someone that that they need to release God, I pray that you would encourage them and that you would help them to move quickly, to set it down, to respond in kindness and compassion. Lord, we can only do that because we understand what you've done for us. We can only do that when you work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, God, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're asking for. Protect our families. Protect our relationships and our friendships. Protect our church. So that we may keep short accounts with each other. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things.
1: Amen.